0: The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. For years, League of Ireland football has had a hand to mouth existence, living in the shadow of the Premier League in England and being the poor relation of Irish sport. Post COVID, however, there's been a huge bounce in attendances with sold-out signs going up for many games around the country. And yet many challenges remain, particularly around funding for improved training and stadium infrastructure. So does the League of Ireland have a viable financial future? Is it fair that about €100 million a year in betting taxes is directed towards horse racing and greyhound racing when football bets account for about €20 a year, according to a recent analysis by the FAI? And can the idea of an All-Ireland League be revived? And would there be support from the business community and fans? Joining me to discuss these and other issues are Platinum One CEO, Fintan Drury, who is a player agent and a former chairman of Paddy Power, and who proposed the idea of an All-Ireland League some 15 years ago. I'm also joined by Stephen Henderson, manager of Longford Town, a first division club in the League of Ireland. I began by asking Stephen to outline the size and scale of Longford Town and to give an insight into how the club makes ends meet.
1: Well, I suppose we like a lot of first division clubs. Um, I think Longford, in particular, walk within their means, which is the right way to go. Historically, they've been a very well-run club. Don't spend what they don't have, and you know when you go in there, you know what you're going into. And in League of World of Football, that's really important. I think historically we've shown that when you when you walk your budget off projections rather than reality, that's when the clubs start to get into trouble. And that's why Longford are sitting in a magnificent stadium. Uh, you know, very rarely, never heard in the news uh, in relation to financial uh, problems. Um, but there has been a lot of investment in the league over the years. And, you know, we still stick to it rigidly to that. And, you know, we have a fantastic training facility up in Dublin. The majority of our players are based in Dublin. Uh so we train in Dublin and thanks to St. Francis there in Baldonald, we have a fantastic training facility uh that we use uh, three to four times a week. Um, you know, but again, it's not ours and that costs money. Um, you know, and unfortunately when we don't have your own training facilities, obviously that that money is going out of the football club to other football clubs. So I think that's probably part of the issue here with League of World of football is that you know, a lot of the money goes to external agencies and it's not been able to be reinvested back into the football club in relation to facilities and in relation to build your own facilities because uh, you know, it's it has to go to, to outside outlets. Um, but we do a good job of it. Right? Um, you know, we've uh, we've managed to recruit really well this year. Unfortunately we have over one third of our of a, of our playing squad are, are on the injury table at the moment. And again, that's another expense in relation to to physiotherapy, doctors, scans, x-rays, you know, there's a lot involved in Irish football in relation to the financial side of it, but we're structured well, and I think most clubs are starting to, uh, you know, really restructure themselves, and I think we're starting to see that in relation to uh, the, the, the game itself, how it's growing, Uh, since we came back after the pandemic, uh, you know, crowds have increased tenfold everywhere. You know, and I think clubs have used the pandemic very wisely to sit down and put in their own strategic plans and stick to those strategic plans. And, you know, I think it's uh, that's been reflective in terms of the quality that you're seeing on the pitch, in terms of the quality of how the clubs are running themselves, and it has to come from themselves. Uh, we're very volunteer-based in this country. And I think one thing that needs to come out of this podcast and many others is that uh, The amount of work that volunteers put into Irish football, without them, we wouldn't have a product. So, uh, you know, they're they're a huge entity in relation to what we're doing here in this country.
0: Stephen, what would the budget be for uh, Longford Town in the First Division for the season as a whole?
1: Well, we kind of work off something between three and a half grand uh, per week in relation to, you know, playing staff, coaching staff, medical staff. Um, It's not a huge budget by any stretch of imagination. But what it is is it, it's 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 something that the club sit down and look at at the start of the season, see um what we can bring into the football club, um what what actually comes in. They're not projective. I think we have always got ourselves into trouble when we say, yeah, we're going to have two thousand people coming into the into the through the gate this year when historically you are bringing a thousand. Yeah, we're going to bring in a hundred thousand worth of um, advertisement this year when historically you are bringing in fifty or forty. You know, we sit down and we know what we have, and then we play the, the budget off that and it's invested in, in into the team, the, the coaches and 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 the players, obviously. And you know, we, we stick with that rigidly through the through the whole of the season and don't get ourselves into financial trouble. Uh in relation to, to this year. Um we only had uh two players signed from previous years, so we've we've basically had to recruit a whole new who squad of players. And a lot of them are really, really young. So we have a lot of amateurs within our ranks this year. You know, so, um, you know, we understand the budget. We understand where we are. We invest it wisely. But obviously we need to be competitive on the pitch because, uh, you know, that that ultimately, that's what brings the people in. Everything, the stadium is magnificent. uh, The match day experience for Longford fans is magnificent. But the only way we're going to get them in through the the torn like every other club, is, is to win. Uh, you know, so we're we're unfortunate injuries this year. We've been very competitive this year. Uh, but i feel when we get our few um players back, uh, you know, I think we start seeing the crowds coming back in. But if we hadn't uh, legislated, if we had to start saying that our budget is going to be based on bringing in uh fifteen hundred to two thousand people people a week, uh, and and we increase our budget based on that projection, we could be in trouble now. So that just goes to show how well the club has run.
0: Stephen, a lot of the clubs have had a bounce uh, post-COVID in terms of their attendances. What's the long-for-town experience? How many people do you get on average at a game?
1: Well, at the moment, I think we're up around the seven or 800. Um, we had 1,500 for our fourth home game of the season and we were we were awful. Uh, so it didn't help in uh, trying to bring them back. Uh, you know, so um, but I think, you know, we have a core support there of about six to 800. We have a latent support of about the same. We have potential to bring fifteen hundred to two thousand people in the gate, um. So we're really grateful to the people that do come on a weekend, weekend basis. They have a real understanding that there's a complete overhaul of what's happening within the football, particularly with the playing staff and the coaching staff. I'm only there a few months myself, uh. So they have a so they're right behind us. They see how young we are, but well, we're not stupid. We understand that, uh, you know, we have to start being more competitive. We've been very competitive, but we have to start winning more matches. And when we do, we'll start winning more matches. Then we can start looking at, you know, between twelve and 1,500 people, which, which will put the club on profit, basically, based on, on, on the projections that we made at the start of the season.
0: Stephen, you mentioned that a number of your squad are amateur players. Is there anybody on the payroll as such, either in terms of players or backroom staff, who could be classified as full-time? No, not one. So it's mostly part-timers?
1: We have one full-time administrator in the football club. The rest of them are either part-time, amateur or volunteers. And, uh, you know, I think I think this discussion here would be how do we improve that? How how do we create an industry here for, for football clubs that can create full-time positions for coaches, players, administrators uh, and the like and, and provide, you know, uh, outlets around the ground where the local community can come in and make some money as well. Do you know, that that's where we need to be. We are very much amateur, uh, voluntary-based. We have uh, a couple of semi-professionals on our books. But outside of that, we only have one full-time employee within the club. Finch and Drury, that's
0: the key thing for the League of Ireland, isn't it? Football is an industry in England and in Scotland, but it's not in this country. You had a a plan, you had an idea uh, a number of years ago now at this stage for an All-Ireland League did you think that if we had an All-Ireland League that it might be a step towards creating an industry for football in Ireland or is that just wishful thinking?
2: No, I, I did then. Uh, I still do. Um, listening to Stephen, it's very clear that there's a a really sound approach being taken to a small club in uh, Longford uh, where sensible people are are, as he put it, living within their means. And and yet, at the end, you know, he he's in a sense pleading for for change, so that out of whether it's podcasts or media attention being paid to the fundamental problem that there is within this within our sport in, in Ireland on the domestic level, uh, that change will come, which will allow facilitate. The creation of a sustainable professional game. But that ultimately isn't dependent on clubs, it's dependent on the governing authority. And in this case, it is also dependent on government. Because, you know, Longford has a nice small stadium. Dundalk, one of the premier clubs in the country that has had great success on the field over the last decade. You know, the, the stadium is no different to when I was playing very badly for UCD back in the 80s. Um, And right around the country, we have a problem with infrastructure. So, you know, we can have uh, budgets that are dealing with the, 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 the cost of running the club, whether it's Longford Town, St. Pat's, 3D United, which is the, the current expenditure you know, involved in putting the, the team or teams on the field of play every week. But the infrastructure needs development. And that is where I believe, and I've written it, written about this a number of times, government, central government needs to actually say, we're, we're going to stop proclaiming our interest in the development of sport, in the importance of sport. And we're going to put some money capital expenditure into the hands of people who are developing professional football with an ambition to make it as successful as it could or should be um over a 5 or 10 year period but this money has to come from central government on that point finton um roy barrs who's the
0: current chair of the fai has been very critical of the government putting all of the betting levy that comes from sport, diverting it towards a horse and, and, and greyhound uh, racing. And he's arguing that the levy generates about 100 million a year, and he's arguing that a lot of that money is actually bet on sports that aren't horse racing or greyhound racing, and that about 20 million of it is probably uh, on football, and that money should be diverted to football, presumably to address some of the infrastructure deficits that you... That, that you mentioned there. Now, you're a former chairman of Paddy Power, the betting company, which is now part of uh, Flutter Entertainment.
2: Does he, in your view, does he have a point? Well, not only does he have a point, but myself, Stuart Kenny, and, and Patrick Kennedy, Stuart being the founder, and Patrick being chief executive when I was the chairman, argued that it was completely nonsensical for 100% of the income, that the tax income that uh, was raised from betting going to one sport or two sports. And so absolutely he has a point. And it is it is fundamentally wrong that sports betting, which is now across so many different sports, is generating this income for the state, and the state is using it exclusively to fund a sport that actually is declining significantly in in popularity. The attendances at at, at race meetings, have been in decline for over a decade. And yet, uh, the sports that warrant uh, support, like our sport, like professional football, aren't getting a reasonable return and a reasonable level of investment. And if it has to come from from the the betting uh, tax, then so be it. Uh, And it is one of the few ways in which there could be a genuine reason for associating revenue, state revenue, from betting with sport if it goes into the infrastructural piece. We argued back in the mid-2000s, we argued that there was a need for this to be spread across the different sports. And I mean, the the one area where government should be investing directly in professional football in, in Ireland is in infrastructure. And that is a means by which it should be done. So Roy Barrett and the FAI are absolutely right in that respect.
0: Yeah, that is a big deficit. But how is it that Sharmack Rovers, let's say, have a a fine modern stadium in Tala, which is essentially funded now by South Dublin County Council. They've got a new stand that's just about to open uh, in July. And yet other clubs around the country, you mentioned Dundalk, but there are many others, St. Patrick's Athletic, for example, in Richmond Park and Inchicore, you know, badly in need of, of modernisation. How's that other clubs
2: haven't been able to manage that? Well, I mean, there's a case in point. Uh, Shamrock Rovers don't own the stadium. They lease the stadium uh, on very favourable terms, which is, which is good for them. But it's also good for South Dublin County Council. It's, it shows enlightened thinking by a local government to uh, develop the club in West Dublin. And it's been very successful. Uh, St. Pat's, uh, which is owned by Gary Kelleher, who's a friend of mine. They have very clear plans for the development of, of the stadium. And I believe those will, will in the relatively near term uh, get the support of, of the council. So these are the kind of steps that need to be taken between central government and lo- w- in some cases with local government support. But ultimately, what's so lacking is leadership around this arena and that leadership I come back to the same point listening to what Stephen is talking about listening to the the reasonableness with which Longford Town is setting about a course to keep it itself afloat to keep itself as strong as it can be without real leadership coming from Abbott, Abbottstown or indeed From government, but the FAI needs to step up and needs to put immense pressure on government to realize the potential of the sport in Ireland. And to go back to the first question you asked me, you know, the the reality is over and above those points, the, the reality is there are too many clubs attempting to play professional football on the island of Ireland. That is a fundamental problem. A lot of people don't like when that's expressed. And understandably, people want to protect their own clubs, the clubs for their own area, but we just have too many, given the fact that rugby is serving what it serves in terms of of uh, both the professional game with the four provinces, four professional clubs effectively, and then the All Ireland League playing amateur football, amateur rugby. And we obviously, unlike our neighbours, we have phenomenally successful sport sports in terms of Gaelic football and hurling run by a very astute group of people in the GAA so you know it, it is a very very difficult marketplace but the the attempt i made 15 years ago was replicated to a much greater degree by Kieran Lucid uh within the last 3 to 4 years with his efforts to Uh, give birth to an all-ireland league which which with which he made a great deal more progress than i did and advanced it with uefa advanced it with uh, a great many clubs in ireland and there's just a a a defense mechanism even within the sport and across some clubs which is to say no to this because And I understand us. There's an emotional attachment to what we have. Our club, my club. But the reality is, this is about economics. You know, you talked about England and you talked about Scotland. There are too many professional football clubs in England. There are definitely too many professional clubs in in Scotland. So the difference here is that it is as acute as it is.
0: Yeah, Fenton, I've been a League of Ireland fan all my life. um, And for me, there's nothing that beats the... Uh, live experience of going to a local game, supporting a club, you know, being part of your community and all of that. I'm a charm Grover's fan and maybe I've been lucky over the years. They've had a fair share of success. They're a big club, uh, good nights in Europe and all that. Different for some other clubs operating in the League of Ireland. They, they haven't had those, uh, that access to those kind of nights. But I just wonder, you know, th- traditionally the attendances have been poor. You know, they've bobbed up and down, but... Overall, they've been poor. The facilities haven't been great. The um, customer experience going to a League of Ireland match over the years hasn't been great. It's changing a bit, but still it hasn't been great. The perception of the league is that it's a bit Mickey Mouse. And of course, it's living in the shadow of the Premier League, which is the biggest uh, football league in the world and the most successful one in the world. And there's wall-to-wall coverage on our televisions um, and other devices for that. So how do you go about making... uh, a League of Ireland or even an All-Ireland League a commercial success and how do you go about changing the perceptions of
2: so many people in this country about uh, the league and the quality of the football? Well, I I think the the quality of the football has improved significantly over the last five or ten years. I think the league itself is definitely improving. I think the intenses are up. Stephen made an interesting point about, you know, the balance with which Longford Town has approached its planning and it's planning on the basis of we have a core of 700, 800 fans. The problem with with clubs that have small core bases of fans is the percentage of those fans who travel for away matches is obviously, in, in any league, in any club, is small, relatively small but if you have a very small base of fans that are turning up week in week out when you're playing at home then the number of fans as a percentage that go go to the away matches is small and that's damaging the club that is hosting your club so again it's if you have an all Ireland league and instead of St Pat's playing UCD or Finn Harps they're playing you know, Glen or Linfield, then they're getting similar-sized crowds to the crowds that when they, they get when they're playing rovers or boats. Now, the, again, people see that as being an elitist view of the game and that it is destructive of the game at grassroots level and around the different communities. But it's actually... a a central tenet of how the game must work is has to be based on the economics and the reality is if you have more high quality matches that are more attractive to more fans that increases the amount of money that you can get in sponsorship and advertising and it becomes a virtuous circle rather than a vicious circle
0: Okay, so you're convinced that the, the appetite is out there. If if we put the building blocks in place, that the commercial uh, aspects of it um, can be worked out, that there is the appetite among the uh, business community, let's say, to I'm, support
2: I'm, the league. I'm, I'm certain of it. I'm more certain of it now than I was 15 years ago. I'm more certain of it now than when Kieran Lucid was making his attempt three or four years ago. And one of the reasons is because... This is a phenomenally popular sport. I mean, this rugby union has a small support base, maybe high percentage of of Irish Times readers, but it has a small support base uh, relative to to, to football in Ireland. And so there is such untapped potential within the sport here that we need to do something significant to tap into it. And if you create all of the right elements, then despite the fact that the Premier League is 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 on our doorstep, there is no question in my mind, but that it can be very successful.
0: At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Stephen Henderson, what about uh, coaching? How do we shape up against the rest of Europe in in terms of the ability of our coaches? I guess the, the, the perception, again, out there is that we wouldn't have the same quality as would exist in other uh, leagues around Europe.
1: Yeah, it's all about perception. And what Finton's saying there, the perception of League of World and football is not great. And and that would uh filter into the people that work within that environment. My personal opinion is that like we have some of the best coaches in Europe here on our doorstep that we don't use. We have some of the best coaches in Europe sitting at home out of work because we don't have an industry to provide for them. Um, And again, it's all about perception and it's about Irish football and it's about when we put a match on the telly and you see dilapidated stadiums, uh, You know, then the perception is that's not really a great league. Um, And when I say that, I've done my UA for Pro licence and I've seen some of our coaches putting on demonstrations over in switzerland and and some of the demos they put on were the best this is coming this is up against other full-time coaches who are working in full-time industries and what we don't have here are the tools for these coaches to go and express themselves we don't have an industry that allows these coaches to go and spend enough hours on the training pitch with players to fully develop them and develop themselves while they're at it we don't have enough top class qualities to put on top class sessions which makes our coaches even better because they're constantly problem solving. They're constantly coming up with solutions to put on a top-class session to facilitate our top-class players, which should not be the way. It comes down again to what we're talking about, facilities and infrastructure. We now have another five-pillar uh, pathway program been developed by the FAI. What happened to the other four? We're all sitting down saying the same things that we said 20 years ago. I sat down when uh, Kieran Lucid um, delivered his All-Ireland proposal and the detail that he put into it was absolutely phenomenal. And I just said to myself, Christ, if we had 12 Lucids here sitting on a committee that was going to put this stuff together and go to the detail that he put together, the financial side of it, the travelling, everything he put together, it was, a magnificent, uh, it was a magnificent presentation he put on, but it was one of the few presentations that I seen that had substance, it wasn't just this pretty PowerPoint presentation with fancy diagrams and this, this had substance to it, that he went the whole hog with it, and, and, and these are the boys, wh- where is he now, why has he not been recruited by the FEI? why has he not been allowed to put a team together, you know, to, to start putting these infrastructures in place, to start putting these plans in place, because it was magnificent. And and when I say magnificent, I mean the depth that he went into it. There was substance behind it. He really put his heart and soul into it, and he showed what could be could have been achieved. Finton, I didn't know Stephen had had seen that. I, you know, and it, I helped,
2: Darren Lucid out a little. I had had the previous experience, and we talked quite a you know quite a few times. But but I want to emphasise that point. There is somebody who went out on his own. Who put his own money and a huge amount of amount of time into, the, into that effort, along with um, a, a small core group of people. And it was the, the the whole approach, not just the presentation, it was detailed, there was extraordinary depth to it, and it was deliverable. And it had people in UEFA interested in making sure it was delivered. But we need to take some radical steps. Otherwise, things don't happen. Now, you you asked the question of Stephen about the coaching. I'm sitting talking to you in a coffee shop near to the training ground of, of of a Premier League club in England, and I'm having a meeting this afternoon with somebody who has his pro license, who did his pro license through the FAI, even though he's not Irish and has said to me on more than one occasion how struck he was by the quality of the people who were largely Irish who were on the course with him. Like, If you don't have an industry that can serve the people who are spending money and spending time and working hard at getting their pro license, if you don't have an industry to employ them, they're going to eventually disappear. To Harry McHugh's point, or one of his points in in his article or his interview um, with Gavin Comiskey a couple of weeks ago, you know, so it it is about infrastructure, but it's also about people. We can't keep losing good people because we don't have the industry to serve their needs so that they can bring uh, talented young players through.
0: Fintan, isn't the reality, though, that the FAI at the moment, it has bigger fish to fry in terms of its uh, overall debt? And there's a real tension between the schoolboy clubs, the schoolboy section, if you like, um, and League of Ireland. There's also a reality uh, to the fact that politicians, when they hear this about the the betting levy, they say, well, how many fans are involved in the League of Ireland? How big is the League of Ireland community and how big is the well, horse racing well, well, and how influential thing, is the, the horse racing thing,
2: community? What I'm absolutely certain of is if if politicians are, are thinking exclusively about how many votes there are through the, how they spend the betting levy, right? <laughs> this betting tax. Well, there's a hell of a lot more votes if you put some of that money into football than if you continue to put all of it into into horse racing and greyhound racing. There are there, there's unquantifiable difference between the number of football fans in this country and those who who go horse racing in declining numbers week in week out so uh you know but but ultimately uh let's remind politicians that their job is to lead their job is to mm. determine what's right and if they if there is a Any member of of, uh, the Eruptus who thinks that it is right that 100% of the money from the betting uh, tax goes on sports betting, goes to uh, one and a half sports, then uh, they, they have serious questions to answer.
0: Stephen, can I just ask you, uh, we have uh, in the League of Ireland now, we've underage uh, sections as well, so under-19, under-17, under-15. I know Longford have teams uh, playing in those uh, leagues. When, In your experience as a a former player and now as a a manager, um, do young kids aspire to playing in the League of Ireland and do they see it as being able to make a, a sustainable career for themselves or do they just see it as a stepping stone to the Premier League in England or to the Scottish League? Yeah,
1: it's it's still seen very much as a stepping stone. Um, obviously with the Brexit coming in, uh, there's been a huge kind of cultural change in relation to players going across to England because they can't go over till they're 18. But again, that that increases demands on us here in Ireland to have the proper infrastructure to fully develop them. Uh, like even if you look at some of the League One and League Two academy systems over there, they still blow us out of the water here. You know what I mean? Like they, they still in terms of the facilities that they have, in terms of the professional coaches that they have, in terms of their contact time with the football, uh, they still blow us out of water here. Um the in theory, our our, our academy system here is probably one of the best things that's happened in relation to the FEI over the last few years. Uh I'm not sure it was there. I think it was forced upon them, to be brutally honest with you. It was something that needed to be done. Um, you know, but we're, we're still miles behind on it. Again, like I suppose, we have to keep going back to Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers are the model club in relation to everything that's good within League of Ireland football. They have the in Roadstone. They have a fantastic um, academy structure set up there for their players. That feeds into college time, feeds into school time. And um, they have astros. They have grass pitches. They have small-sided pitches. And it's it's everything that's required to fully develop the players. And and Shamrock Rovers, I've seen the. Uh, um, again the benefits of that in relation if you see the prices they're now demanding for their players because they know they 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 know the work they know the time they put into them now unfortunately the rest of us are miles behind and and this is going back to what Finton's saying is that like you know yes there has to be some form of, of radical thinking in relation to how we can take the game forward but we can never ever ever uh what you call it Dismiss what's important, which is the grassroots end of it. The you know the the academy side of it, getting these players in, and 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 the money that needs to be invested in that. So like even with the U A, the clubs going into UEFA, I always felt that the UEFA money should have should have been distributed. A club that takes in, you know, two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever, you know, it's fantastic money, but it's it's it you know it's a small drop in the pond to UEFA, but it's huge money for us. Well, I always felt that that money should be distributed. Each club should be have made invest something like 25% of that has to go into academy football. And there has to be oversight that that's gone into investment in academy. 25% of that must be deliverable in relation to improving their facilities. And then the other 50% as in relation to how, how the, the club is run, be it budgets or whatever, miscellaneous things. But any any that kind of money... Uh, should be invested into our academy system because our academy system is important, but it has not kicked on. It has not kicked on. And don't let anybody tell you that it has. Because I know t- I know under 19 teams that are training twice a week in two different counties, So that can't be happening at elite level, academy football. And we have to look into that and we have to see how we can improve that because we have a duty of care to these kids who would have been normally good enough to go over to play... Uh, you know, in a professional industry, but cannot now because of of legalities. So we have a, a duty of care to provide the best for them, and at the moment we're not we're, we're not there. Yeah,
2: one of the things about that is that that uh, you know I think the point about Shamrock Rovers is correct. Uh, uh, you know, they they've set the tone, uh, but I I think there are other clubs. I mean, the Pats Academy is doing extremely well, both in terms of delivering, you know, results. But also in terms of players going going to Italy, young players going to Italy because of Brexit, not going to, not going to um, not going to the Premier League or going to England.
1: Well, Phil, where where are Pat's uh, academy teams playing their matches? They don't have a base for their matches. They play no, in, no, in but
2: different... that's all. Yeah, I I understand that. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with your 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 point about Shamrock Rovers. But what I'm saying is the the the, the dial is moving in general. In terms of of the academies as well, and if you look at Derry, uh, and, and the point I was about to make is that where you where you follow the money, where you follow people, business people, and look at Philip O'Doherty in Derry, look at Kieran Medler as chairman of of Sharmick Rovers, with Dermot Desmond as a shareholder. You look at uh, at uh, Gary Kelleher in, in Pats. You look at Mr. Usher in, in only recently in Cork City, and and then you look at. Our, our second biggest city, Limerick, which has been, I can't say on air what it what it has been for the last decade in terms of how it has regressed in terms of its status as a football city. And it is a football city. Never mind what people would tell you about Munster Rugby. Limerick has always been a soccer town, a soccer city. Um, and yet the, the infrastructure there has, as a football club, has has just regressed and it needs to be built back up again. So, so we need the private sector through successful business people, as well as what I was referring to earlier on in terms of government and in terms of just, you know, whether it's local government or national government. But ultimately, all of this comes down to those who govern the sport. They have to create... A model which is attractive to the different entities that can support financially support the growth of the game.
0: Vincent, can I ask you? You mentioned that you're a friend of Garrett Keller Why would Gareth Keller invest? And he's a long time investor in St Patrick's Athletic. Now at this stage, why why is he invested in St Patrick's Athletic? Why is Dermot Desmond uh, invested in Shamrock Rovers or Philip O'Doherty in Derry? Because no matter how successful they are on the pitch or what kind of European run uh, they get, etc., you know, there's no financial return for an investor
2: really in, in League of Ireland, is there? Yeah, but there's no financial return for many investors in professional sport anyway. I mean, I'm not sure there's a financial return. You'd be better served, better, uh, equipped to answer this, but I'm not sure there's a financial return for Dermot Desmond in, in Glasgow Celtic. Uh, in terms of Philip O'Doherty, he's a man I don't know, but I've admired what he's done and continues to do, with also another example, bringing through talented coaching uh, personnel in, in Rory Higgins as a young man now coaching coaching the team managing the team Um I, I believe that the reasons why these people do it are are varied um, but ultimately uh, you know I think they 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 they're not in the business of trying to make money but they are what's good about them I think is they're investing time and money with a view to the club being a successful club and not losing money so it's not feckless investment but it's not investments they like they might make in other areas of business where they want to see a return and they want to receive a a sizable return over a reasonable time frame i think the investments are being made because you know they want the club to be successful they don't want to lose money. And that's actually really, really good because it goes back to the same principle as Stephen talked about right at the start in terms of Longford Town, a really small club. it's You know, if, if people are feckless, that's actually bad, not just for them, but it's bad for the club ultimately, whether it's a small club or a big club, whether it's community money or it's an individual. The discipline is, is necessary. And I think in, in the case of the people you've mentioned and the case of the, the recent investment in Cork City, These are people who want to see the game succeed and believe that they have a contribution to make. They don't need to see a return from it, though.
0: And Fintan, as a a player agent, um, is Brexit a good thing or a bad thing for Irish football? Because as Stephen mentioned, players can't go over now until they're 18. So I guess the best young teenagers previously would have gone over um, to English or Scottish clubs. Um, You mentioned that some of them are now sort of being diverted to uh, Italy or, or elsewhere, but you know, perhaps there's the opportunity
2: now to develop our own talent on our own doorstep. Well, I've long argued that not all, but a lot of players are better served by staying in Ireland until they're 18. I believe that they should finish their education, basic education anyway. And um, so, you know, that's not always possible and it's not always what's right. But in many cases, it, it, it is better for, for young youngsters. Look, you'll see some of them going to going to the continent uh, but I think it you know it will reduce the numbers leaving at a young age and I think that is good Uh, but we have to strengthen the academy system across the country as well to, to Stephen's point if if we're going to make it really attractive for them to stay we don't want them staying because they can't get to England until they're 18 we want them staying because it's really cool to stay here and play here and I can develop as a player but that's not realistic at the moment is it? I think it is. I think it is increasingly realistic. I think there's there's a lot more to be done, but I'm say, I'm saying that in terms of lifting the quality of what we do and creating an industry, uh then that becomes a fundamental. You have to do that.
0: And in terms of an All Ireland League, I know you said you had conversations with Kieran. We had Kieran on the podcast uh, pre-Covid times now at this stage. Um, I'm not sure where his plan is at precisely, but do you see any prospect of an all Ireland league let's say in the next decade
2: you know i i, I honestly thought with with kieran's plan that it it was it was going to uh, ignite and and, uh, and get the kind of traction that it should have done um it didn't and uh i, I you know I, I there's an element of dismay about it and so having originally looked at it 15 years ago um i, I you know i wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be optimistic, Kieran, uh, to be honest, uh, but but uh, maybe that's the best way and that that's when it starts to happen. Yeah, sure. Stephen, uh, give us
0: your view for the next 10 years for the League of Ireland as a man on the inside.
1: Well, obviously, I, I, I'd love to see. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of really positive stuff in relation to what's happening with Derry, what's happening with St. Pat's, what's happening with Shamrock Rovers. And even down in the, the fourth division, there's an awful lot of investment in the likes of Galway United and uh, and Waterford. Uh, you know, so it's like our Rovers. We have a number of clubs that are really pushing themselves within the full-time professional market. who so are doing a, a really lot of good stuff. I'd love to see it within the next 10 years that we, we have progressed to an industry. I'd love to see it that... A lot of uh, football's problems, believe it or not, is not on the field, it's off the field. That's that. That's always been my impression that, you know, there's an awful lot of egos involved in running football and those egos generally make decisions to hurt each other without realising the impact it's having on football within this country. I don't think we'll be able to have a Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland League until we sort out our own differences here in Ireland. I think you mentioned it earlier there in relation to the the constant uh, you know, fighting between the F.A.I. and and the the school boy sections in here. There's an awful lot of different groups have an awful lot of power that for some reason won't come together. And and for football to really kick off in this country, we, we have to get that sorted off the pitch. We have to get these groups to sit down together and and come together and, and do what's best for football and not their ego. So that that's one of the big things I'd love to see. I'd love to see all the all the different bodies you know that have some form of conflict to sit down and resolve that conflict, and then come together as a plan for Irish football in general, and try and create an industry with total everybody's involved in it. Uh, you know, each club, you know, has a say in relation to how how we develop football players. You know, there has to be a, you know a social side to it. There has to be an elite side to it. You know how do how do we how do we provide a football environment that's inclusive to everybody who wants to play the game. And where everybody who wants to be a professional, there is an environment there for them to move through the ranks all the way up into the professional environment. And these kids who just want to play for a bit of fun, have that environment for them there. But it just seems everybody feels they're more important than the next person. It, resu- it goes to conflict. These e- egos start fighting with each other and ultimately it's football that suffers. So if you're asking me over the next 10 years, what would I love to See, I'd love to see that resolved off the pitch and these people coming together once and for all and saying, that, here, let's put our egos aside here. Let's put our differences aside here and let's concentrate on making Irish football great because we genuinely have the people to do that. And Kieran, one last thing is that we have to recognise that there was
2: 10 years of wastefulness under the leadership of, 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 of a particular individual in the FAI where particularly the, the league, the domestic game, was allowed to suffer. We now have new people in, in running the FAI, and in particular, a man I don't know, but I know by reputation in the game in England, Mark Canham, in as director of football. What an opportunity for somebody who, who has a track record of caring about the game at all levels demonstrating that the, the league the domestic league can be central to the mission that he has of improving football on and off the pitch but in particular improving football on the pitch what an opportunity that is for for the FAI right now
0: okay we'll leave it there Fenton Drury and Stephen Henderson thank you for joining us thank you Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Finton Drury and Stephen Henderson for joining me on the show. John Casey produced the episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor, EY, for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.